this evening comes from John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this, he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were received, for as yet the spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Father, we pray that you would speak to us tonight your words of living water, and that you would, you would cause the spirits work in our life to overflow from us. That rivers of living water would flow. Be with us now. Speak through these feeble lips. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I think it is uh, safe to say that we here in the city, we live in a very, uh, we live in a thirsty place. Uh, I'm, of course, I'm not, I'm not talking about physical thirst, uh, but the thirst I refer to is a deeper spiritual, psychological thirst. I think we, we see evidence of it all the time here. I mean, frankly, especially here in Manhattan, in Center City, New York, many people move here based on their thirst to prove themselves in their career or in the arts or whatever the case may be. This is the place you go. And so in my numerous, numerous, numerous conversations over the last year and a half with people in the community, the vast majority of people I've met are not from here. They're from somewhere else, and they moved here to accomplish something, to to be born again in some new, exciting way, some fulfilling way. And this, this thirst for more has caused people to just work at a frenetic pace here, to work at this, to kind of claw and scratch for what it is they, they want. And really this thirst is there. I mean, you know, I just saw a statistic the other day that the average person in America comes across on a daily basis 5,000 Social media, TV, I mean, <laughs> billboards, you name it, everywhere you go, every newspaper, whatever, 5,000 different ads. I, I find that just stunning and yet not necessarily unbelievable. And if, if, what are ads trying to do for us? They are trying to remind us that something, something is not quite quenched inside. Yeah, it's trying to get us to see that if we just get this thing, that thing, this thing, that thing, then maybe, maybe the empty will be filled. And then on top of that, you know, social media kind of plays on that too. It's not just that the ads that come from social media, it's just social media itself. I mean, the fact that, you know, you get a like or a comment of affirmation, you get enough of those and you kind of feel like, ooh, I'm something, I'm validated, I, I, I look at this, I got it, um, this is important. And yet, and yet, day after day goes, and we still, we know we're not satisfied. And so tonight, what we're going to talk about is how the Spirit works to bring us this satisfaction that we need, that we know we need, but we don't quite know what to fill it with. And so that's where we're going. How does the Spirit work to quench the thirst? 
first thing that our text shows us is that the, the Spirit has to do some work of showing us that anything around us is not going to do the job. He has to actually reveal that to us because we can't believe it on our own. We'll keep on looking for something out there. Nevertheless, uh, you know, we try. We keep on trying to find it out there somewhere. I'm reminded of John Rockefeller's words when he was once interviewed by a journalist, and the journalist asked, how much money is too much? Or how much money is enough? And his answer was just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Uh, again, Jim Carrey, apparently the beacon of wisdom for this evening's service, uh, sent a graduation speech a few weeks or a few years ago. Uh, I hope everybody can get rich and famous. I hope everybody can experience that and everything they ever dreamed of. Why? So that they will know it is not the answer. It's not the answer. Now, some may realize that, and so they seek to quench their thirst by something different. They don't. They realize that money won't do it. They realize that fame won't do it. But they think maybe their accomplishment, accomplishments in life might do it, and so they they scratch and claw after that. And if they've accomplished enough, if they they get enough mementos, and maybe just maybe they're significant enough to get their name on a plaque somewhere, that that will do it. But then I think about the words of Tom Brady in an interview with 60 Minutes a number of years back when he said this, why do I have three Super Bowl rings, now five, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I, I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. And I reach my goal, I reach my life, and I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this, isn't, this can't be all that it's cracked up to be. You know, right now, the NBA Finals are going on, game two is tonight, and, uh, you know, LeBron and Michael Jordan, that's the big debate right now, who's the greatest of all time? And you know what? Uh, uh, right now, I think still people lean towards Jordan. Someday, they probably will lean towards LeBron. And you know what? No matter how many times people will say that, <coughs> deep inside, that won't bring any satisfaction to Jordan or LeBron. It doesn't. Ultimately, the accolades won't do it either. So, so why is it that this world can't give us what we're looking for? And the Bible's answer is that everything in this world is fallen. Everything in this world bears the stains of fallenness. Everything is temporal. Everything is bound to entropy. Everything is ultimately not going to last. And so everything we bear onto here can't quite satisfy. And the Bible goes further and gives us bad news that the world is fallen because we are fallen. We're the ones who cause the fallenness. And so what the Spirit has to do in our lives is convict us of that reality before we'll start flying, before we'll stop flying after everything out there. The work of God has to bring us to a point where we go, yeah, that stuff might be nice, and it's worth working hard for. Sure. Money could be nice, and that way it's going to be nice, but ultimately, none of it can be what we look to. The Spirit has to bring us to the reality that apart from His work in our life, we won't find the significance and meaning we're looking for. But, it's not an accident that we look to other things. The Bible even goes further and says the reason that we do is because we'd rather look to things that we know won't even satisfy us because we are afraid or don't want to depend on God. So it goes even deeper. There's a deep, like, we are like, I, my, I 
three kids. Every one of them has gone through a major stage in which they have declared they can do all things by themselves. <laughs> I can do it myself. I can do it myself. Uh, just this week, my five-year-old Lincoln uh, was in a do-it-yourself mode. Um, he decided, got up in the morning, me and Missy were ready downstairs, and he went upstairs, and based on what he had seen his brothers do, he decided that he was going to microwave himself some pancakes. <laughs> there's some frozen pancakes, and they are microwavable, and, you know, but it's tall, you can't get there. Well, you know, the little, the little guy, he can do it himself, and so he pushed the chair over to where the microwave was at, and got the frozen pancakes out, and put them in the microwave, and pushed a bunch of numbers, we're not quite sure how many numbers, or how long, and just pushed start, just like we'd seen his brothers do, and he could do it himself. Until, Missy said, I think I smell smoke. In which I, I went upstairs, and sure enough, smoke was pouring out of my room. I opened it up, and there was some charcoal in my room, and there pancakes. <laughs> and so I took the charcoal out, and I put it in the trash, and smoke had filled the apartment, and it was, I mean, it, long, long story short, my, my apartment still has the nice hint of charcoal as you walk in. It's very hard to get rid of that smell. Now, here's, here's the amazing thing. I, so I go to Lincoln afterwards, right? I mean, he sees the smoke. I walk up to him, five years old. I say, Lincoln, what, what happened? And he, he just, he goes, Daddy, I want pancakes. <laughs> I can do it myself. I can do it myself. This is the problem. See, we want, we want to quench our thirst ourselves, and the Spirit's work is to say, it won't work. No matter what you do, it won't work. As a matter of fact, the more you try to coach your first yourself, you're going to burn things. You're going to burn things down and you're going to hurt people. That's what happens when we try to quench our first ourselves. Eventually, we hurt ourselves and we hurt others. So the Spirit first has to do that work in us to show us that nothing in this world can, can ultimately quench the thing that's inside us, this big, this big thirst that we have. But he doesn't just leave us there because God is good and he's gracious. He doesn't just leave us to show us, ah, you're out of luck, you can't do it yourself. But he leads us to the one who can quench our thirst. Namely, Jesus. So, even as he's revealing we can't do anything about our condition, he reveals the one who can. So, at the beginning of our text, Jesus says, I'm the living water, come to me. I'm the one. Now, before I go on, I need to give you a little historical background about the text that we read. At the very beginning, you might have noticed that it said, on the last day of a feast, on the great day, is when Jesus spoke these words. The feast that was being celebrated is known as the Feast of Tabernacles. The point of the Feast of Tabernacles was to celebrate seven or eight days of celebration of God's provision for his people when they were wandering in the desert while they were sort of uh, stranded and stuck in the middle of nowhere. God provided ways for them to eat. God provided ways for them to drink. And so in the middle of this, uh, in, at the point of this festival, on the last great day, there was a ceremony in which the priest would uh, go out to the pool, what was called the Pool of Siloam, near the temple, and fill pitchers of water, walk up to the altar, and pour water on the altar as the people of God stood around chanting these words from Isaiah 12, 3. Quote, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So what are they? They're recognizing that the living water comes from God, and Jesus right 
picture. He's right there, probably watching this going on, and he's saying, that right there is all about me. It's me that you're looking to. That's me that you need to find the living water. It's me. As a matter of fact, the words used to this book, before he does it, are cried out. That literally can be shouted. So it's if he's just interrupting church. It would be as if one of you got up in the middle of my sermon was like, listen, no, what you're saying is wrong, bro. It's about me. Jesus is that poor. He gets up and just announces that he's the one who brings the living water. He's saying, I'm the point, the one who can truly quench your thirst. Why? Because even as the Spirit is working to show us that we are sinners in need, he is also working to show us that Jesus is the sin-bearer on the cross. As the Spirit is working to show us our need for righteousness, he's revealing Jesus is the one who is righteous. As the Spirit is working to show us that nothing can satisfy, he's working to show us that Jesus can satisfy. I have talked to a number of people that are on two sides of a spectrum here in the city. Uh, the first group I've talked to, I'd say, is the majority of people. When I say talk to people, I mean strangers, just people I've gone up on the street and asked questions to. Uh, the one group of people I've talked to have just moved here, uh, fairly common. And they're generally still pretty excited about you know what I mean? Like they love, they, they just like, they love the city, they love Central Park on the weekend, they love, they still even like Times Square. Like they're those, they're just like those, they love the city, you know, they, they love it and everything about it is exciting and food and all, and all the things that make the city awesome. You know, I've met a second group of people that have been here for a while. They're not going to Central Park, and they wouldn't dare go to Times Square, not for fun anyway. Uh, and they, they oftentimes realize that the thirst they came here with has not been quenched. And those people are at the point, often of despair. I remember my first week here, I met two people. One guy, uh, I said to him, I asked him, I said, where would you find hope in this world? And he thought about it for a second, and he thought, and he said, I guess I would find hope in the thought that if I work hard enough and I make enough money, I'll finally be content. And then I asked him the next question, I said, what brings you a sense of hopelessness? And he thought for a moment, he kind of chuckled himself, and he said, the realization that no matter how hard I work or how much money I make, I'll probably still not be content. This guy's in his 20s, and he's already got this wisdom. But then I met another guy, I met another guy, who'd been around for a while, had a restaurant one time somewhere in the village, and had, had massive success, was written up and gotten these five-star reviews, and uh, was married and had a little baby, and by the time I met him, he had lost his restaurant, he was divorced, and his baby was gone, and he didn't have any access to his family anymore, and he was living in a small apartment, and he was complaining to me about how awful the city is, and this is what he said to me. He said, Eric, this city exists to edit out the week. That's all it exists for. 
outside this world, who's not fallen, Jesus, the righteous, comes and says, me, I'm here. You can have it. You can have me. That's what the Spirit does. He reveals that reality to us. But the Spirit's work isn't done there. As you come to see Jesus as your satisfaction and your righteousness, he promises then to work through you to be a blessing of others. It's right there in the text. He, he says uh, in verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In other words, the Spirit's going to flow through you to flow to others. This is the amazing transformation that God is working in the midst of his people. It's an, it's an amazing thing that as you come to Jesus, Jesus then uses you to be a blessing. We see this all over the New Testament, in the book of Acts, with the early church that constantly going out of the power of the Spirit, healing people, serving people. But this continues to this day, all the time. This continues to this day. The Spirit is working through those who believe, whether you're conscious of it or not. Whether you're conscious of it or not, He's working through you. I read a wonderful example of how the Spirit works in a person's life just this week. It's, uh, it's actually on CNN. And this is, what it, this is what, it, what it reads. Quote, an anonymous letter showed up at Nickeltown Presbyterian Church. This is how it read. Please accept this donation of $2,000. I send it for two reasons. A Nickeltown Presbyterian Church, historic African American church. Letter shows up, $2,000 check. This is what he says. Two reasons I'm sending this to you. First, I am white. And used to be a terrible racist. Thanks to Jesus and the Holy Spirit acting through the church, I have been cleansed of that. Due to Christ's teachings, I am appalled at my former thoughts and words. I send this donation with a heartfelt apology to the African American community as a sign of God's love for you and my love for you as well. Second reason if you were ever looking for proof that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are alive and well today, and that miracles, just as in biblical times, still happen today, this is it. It is thanks to Jesus and the Holy Spirit alone that I have been cleansed of my former racism. That's the Spirit flowing out like rivers of living water. Now you say, well, I don't have anything that big. I can't run two thousand bucks. That's not the point. Here's the deal. The Spirit works through you in the most ordinary ways most of the like, you know how the Spirit works to you? When you wash the dishes and you don't look for credit, you just do it because it needs to be done. That's the way that the Spirit works to you. You know how the Spirit works to you when you, when you faithfully do a good job of working when you really don't feel like it? You know, the Spirit's working through you when you get a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, just that simple. You know, every fourth Saturday we go out and we have the simplest programs that in our neighborhood. We call it Feed ABC because it's Alphabet City. Um, it's, it literally is a brown bag with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, a bottle of water, and a banana. And a little car with some resources for people who are homeless to get a shower and bed and stuff. It is the most simple. It's, it's super cheap. Because uh, we don't have much for a small church, obviously. But we want to serve as we got. That's the Spirit working. That's the Spirit overflowing from us with our simple gifts 
to bless others. That's the way to do in your life, too. It doesn't have to be anything extravagant. He's working. One of the things I love about the story of Jesus at the end, when he, in Matthew's Gospel, he talks about what will be like in the end. He, he compares people that will go with him to sheep and people that refuse to go to him without go with him to goats. And this is what he says about the sheep. It's really great. He says, you know, you fed me and you clothed me and you visited me in prison. You did all these things for me. And the sheep's response is so awesome because they say, when did we do that? In other words, most of the time, the Spirit's working through you even when you're not conscious of it. The Spirit is working through you even when you don't even when you're not aware. I can promise you He's working through you now if you're a believer in Jesus. So, let me wrap this up by saying some of us uh, may have been Christians for years. And yet the truth is, as the famous hymn says, we are prone to, prone to wander. We're prone to wander from the Lord who loves us. We're tempted to believe the lie all the time that something else will satisfy us. And so often we get into it. So often we do. I mean, you're going to leave here, and even tonight, you're going to be tempted to believe that something else will satisfy you other than Jesus. And so oftentimes, in our temptation, we get in, we head back to the trough to drink from whatever it is that we're being offered. And I just want to say to you, if that's you, if you've been drinking from a trough that isn't satisfying, uh, the Spirit's not telling you. He's chasing after you. He's not going to let you go. He loves you too much to let you drink from that. And He's going to work to convict you about that, to bring you home. And He's saying again to you today that Jesus is still here to give you the living water that truly satisfies. For all who are thirsty today, He is here to bring refreshing to you and rivers of life to Will you pray with me? Father, I ask that you would take these words and plant them into our heart, body, and spirit. Empower us to be people that 